On this week's episode of The Picture of Wealth, Dustin sits down with management consultant Dawn Marie Turner to talk about organizational change. Employees want to change. They get excited about change. The importance of reprogramming. Unlearn old ways of doing things to relearn to do things in different ways. And the difference between healthy and unhealthy organizational habits. And long-term, it's not gonna sustain your health and well-being of your organization. So tune in and start living more of your life now. Change within organizations and in people's lives often brings with it the unknown, and the unknown can cause people to go into panic mode. Whether employers looking to make a big change or employees being told, voluntold, encouraged, or sensing change, fear is always an emotion that needs to be overcome. We have the pleasure of having a professional on the show today to unpack change, overcoming fear in business and in our personal life. And I'm excited to go into this topic as I'm not sure if Don Marie is going to cause some change in my views, but we will see. So Dr. Don Marie Turner is a speaker, writer, certified brain-based coach, and certified management consultant. And she's the president of Turner Change Management, also an, also an author of Launch, Lead, Live, and the creator of the website thinktransition.com, which has a number of resources to help leaders navigate the complexities of change. And with 20 years or more than 20 years of experience in change programming, transition planning, and organizational change, consulting and coaching, Don, thanks a lot for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really delighted to be here, Dustin. Well, you're welcome. And that that definitely was uh, a mouthful. And I can t- yeah. say from uh, say from honesty that uh, I think we should warm up into the pod with maybe a story from you because, uh, like, give us a textbook change management situation for a business owner. You know, I again, I have to admit, I knew the term change management before, and I I see consultants with that title. Uh, but really, how do I used to think? How do people? How do can these consultants actually make money? Is there that many people that need this kind of consultant? Why don't they just suck it up, do a little Google, and get on with it? But after speaking with you, learning more about your craft, this is a big topic, and this is a, a thing that I think can help a lot of business professionals and, and employees when overcoming something. So, do you have a story that that sits in your mind that that would set the stage of what? change management is? Well, you know what? How about if I start with my own story, which starts way past 20 years ago as a brand new... uh, I had gotten a brand new management position. I was straight out of graduate school and really excited. And the board had had, uh, hired me to make some change in the organization. They were looking to take the department that I was going to run in a new direction. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was really excited. I said, oh, this is going to be so much fun. We, you know, I met with my staff. I had a team of about eight people at that point, looked at what was needed. We talked about what was needed. Then uh, began, once we had identified kind of the changes we wanted to make, then I started making the changes, believing that my team was on board. They had all talked about agreeing to it and how it was needed. And they were excited about the changes, only to find a couple of months later, I'm standing by myself. It's much harder than I thought it was going to be. All that support and quote unquote buy-in that I had 
was evaporating and my team was feeling stressed and overwhelmed and the changes were not going in the manner that I had anticipated. None of us had anticipated. And it really started my journey to look at what is going on here. Why did I go from such buy-in, quote unquote, everyone excited about it, to everybody finding whatever they could not to engage with that change and to keep things the the way they were. Mm. And that's essentially what happens over and over and over again in businesses every day. Employees want to change. They get excited about change. Leaders know they need to change. And yet when it comes to doing the heavy lifting, leaders often take the wrong action. Uh, I did take actions that actually prevent the employees from moving forward. And we are hardwired to stay in our comfort zone. So when we couple those two things together, we get repeat change. I work with organizations every day that talk about it feels like we're implementing this change over and over again. Long-term employees talk about been there, done that. We did that 10 years ago. It didn't work then. What, what makes them think it's going to work now? And so what I do and what change management in the, in the way we practice it does is help leaders get underneath that and build some traction so they're not always repeating change and setting themselves up for failure. So do, do you get in there? Like, are you like an emergency doctor, uh, like a triage, like stuff is already bad and then you get in there and, and fix it? Or is there, a, you know, this is, a, this is a facetious question, but is it better to get in there sooner? And does it, like, the, what is the difference between that if you can get in sooner versus get in later? Yeah, it's a great question. It's better to get in sooner. It's better to prevent, you know, uh, part of my background is in healthcare and I spent a lot of time in cardiovascular health. So it's better to prevent the heart attack than to have the bypass surgery and then to have all of the ramifications of after the heart attack. So ideally you want to get in there in the very early stages. And ideally what you want by getting in the, those early stages is you want to create your organization so that it's always change ready so that it is a change-ready organization versus a change-cynical organization. Mm. And why does that matter? Because whatever changes that you're making in your organization today, they're not the last. The market's going to change. Your customers are going to change. Your product line is going to change. The technology is constantly changing. So year after year, you're going to need to to make changes within the organization, have yourself as the leader, have your employees do different things in different ways, unlearn old ways of doing things, to relearn to do things in different ways, that's a constant. If you're going to stay relevant, if you're going to grow, if you're going to maintain performance. So you want to get in early, you want to build capacity for that change. And that's what I call a change-ready organization. Aubrey, it, it's uh, so in today's world, we can get a lot of information. And in yesterday's podcast, we kind of dove down a tangent of 
you know, researching things, acquiring skills from, you know, either podcasts or books. And like I'm getting heart palpitations thinking about the the amount of work this is and the amount of learning that is required to get this done. And and you know, my opening comments now I'm kind of reflecting on that. That's how a lot of people were just Google. How much do I really need to spend on this? Uh, it'll be fine. And people don't look at consulting, coaching, whatever you want to call it, as an investment. It's a pure expense in you know the business. But like in your world, it, is there a system you follow that people can kind of get in their head? Like I think of buckets. I think of compartments. I think of a, a ladder. It like. Do you understand my question? Kind of is how can people kind of wrap their heads around what? When do they need this? Like, how do I identify? Like, is is this grounds that I need help, or is you know is there certain levels of change? You know, you want to put uh, curbs in your parking lot. Well, is that something that needs this big undertaking, or is it? I want to start a new product, or I want to fire a whole level of management. Like, are, is there a difference between the change, or do you coach on all levels? Um, but so yes, we coach on all levels and the, is there a difference in the amount of work you might do or, or how much effort, the complexity, uh, versus one change. If you, you know, if you're putting, uh, curbs in your parking lot versus you're, you know, creating a whole new building in a whole new city with whole new staff, that's different. Right. Mm -hmm. But the elements, there are, what I've identified is 10 essential elements. Those elements need always be there. And when you've got those elements integrated into your leadership and management practices, into your operational environment, then it doesn't feel like, oh, it's just so much work. It becomes a way of what the way you do things around here. This is how we do it. And that's what we help organizations do because we, in fact, I wrote a blog post called Stop Doing Change Management because leaders were taking change management as if it was another task on the side of their desk. Mm -hmm. But it's part of what you do to maintain and grow your operation. So it needs to be infused within the operational environment. It takes a little bit of time. It takes some training. So we train first, we train leaders how to do that. We have several different training programs from the executive to the frontline employee that guides them through what are these elements. And then we work with them to build those elements into their operational patterns. In the same way, you know, you want exercise to be part of your lifestyle. You don't suddenly decide, okay, well, I've got a high school reunion, so I'm going to I'm going to go to the gym for 4 <laughs> months and then afterwards I'll just go back and sit on the couch, right? right. You could do that and, and and organizations do that relative to change, but that long term is not going to sustain your health and well-being. And long term, it's not going to sustain your health and well being of your organization. All right, Don. Uh, I'm putting on my pickaxe and uh, I am going to dig into uh, those resources from you. And I, 
I appreciate that there's there's you can't do it all in the podcast, but you know, if we're talking about laying down fiber and creating habits and traits and uh, you know leaders or or successful people that are listening to the podcast or you know as you're trying to create bandwidth so we can get more lifestyle and the things that you coach uh, I think would do that it would help relieve decisions that are constantly nagging at people and that would create more bandwidth to go paddleboarding or go golfing or whatever it is so can you give us the top 5 traits that you see in like a really Good culture around change management. Is it, you know, you talked about health. So I assume that's, you know, that's a habit. Is there, is there four other ones that are pretty apparent in, you know, files that you come across? You're like, wow, these, you know, people have really have it going on. They just need a minor tweak or, you know, what things should, you know, and I'm a business owner. I would love to know, like, what things should I be trying to, to be aware of? And build more on or add to the mix? Okay. Um, five things. Uh, well, let me see. Let me back up a little bit and see if this is, is helpful. I think first and foremost, leaders have to recognize that the knowledge and skill that they have to run their operation aren't the same and what's needed to engage their employees and their organizations to become change ready and to use change as growth and perform and and for performance. We need other skills in the operational environment. You need your your sales, your marketing. Uh, you need all of your uh, products and everything in the in the change area. You need an understanding of how people respond and interact, uh, actually react uh, to change in order that you can make better decisions. Because often the mistake that leaders are making is they interpret a response to change, which is a normal response, and they label it as resistant, and they set themselves up for a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. So I think the key thing to recognize is, okay, I'm a really successful business woman, business person, businessman, and I need to be able to stay relevant and allow my organization to move change. In the same way you want to know what your financial status is, you want to know what's my change status within my company. What do I know about the way people engage in change as a fundamental base? That's one of the things, that's one of the very first things that we help leaders do. As one physician said to me when I was uh, coaching her, she said, I, I now realize why all of my actions that I was taking that I thought would help backfired because mm. I was going against what was the natural human response to change. Following that, then there are some key things I've identified and, and there's some more. In my book, I talk about seven characteristics of really successful change leaders. And the first one is self-awareness. We need to be aware of how our assumptions, our beliefs, our response to the situation is affecting their response. And when you layer that self-awareness in with an understanding of what and how people respond to change, it's, 
it's almost like magic because you get the opportunity to make subtle shifts, you know, in your language. One word can change completely how you interpret a situation. If I say he broke the vase, you'll get one response. You'll feel it in your gut. You'll feel that response. If I say the vase broke, it's a completely different kind of language. So that's one. Um, Another one is to have empathy. If you're the initiator of the change, if you've started it, you've already thought about it for months, you've already done some of the groundwork in preparing psychologically, emotionally, cognitively for that change. I call that readiness. The people that you're introducing it to have not. Mm-hmm. And none of us like to be surprised and kicked out of our comfort zone unprepared. And we will respond normally with a stress response, that fight or flight response. So the second characteristic is empathy, is to recognize and see the change from the leader's perspective. I mean, from the change recipients, the people that are likely going to have to do most of the heavy lifting, right? I mean, if you're implementing new technology, it's likely it's your frontline employees that are going to, you know, who've been doing the same thing for 10 years, are going to have to learn that new technology technology, learn the new processes, unlearn the old way of doing it, engage with customers differently. It's not as likely that the executive that launched that change is going to have to do that same level of effort. So those are kind of three things. One is really get a good understanding of what happens with people in change. And that comes with training and willingness to learn and, and embrace some of the methodologies that are there. Two, become self-aware. Three, demonstrate some empathy and look at whatever change you're making in your organization from the perspective of the people that have to do the heavy lifting. I'll start with those and then I'll stop there and see. (laughs) No, I I think that's great insight. And I I wasn't asking for all of your secret pudding right away. But um, I think all business owners go through it if you've ever had a team of people where you're leading them. You think about things. You ruminate in them. You live them. Uh, it is your dollars that are on the line, and uh, you're asking or you're you're sharing or encouraging people to go a certain direction, and they don't do it. And I can, you know, my personal experience is it it peel, feels like a personal slight because you know you, your friend you're, you'll become friends with your staff or not great you know deep friends, but you are there's a friendship level there, or for for me it it becomes, and then. When they're not doing it, it's how could they do that? We're friends, uh, and I think you know a, a lot of you know spouses find this also with wealth management and financial. Is one spouse wants something, a goal, uh, you know, a certain thing. And I've done another podcast on buying toys, uh, more specific to to men coming home with the Harley is the example of, oh, uh, hey, I showed you this classified ad, and I came home with it, and you know it it's not part of the family goals. And although you've thought of it, you've justified it, and you've kind of just self-internalized and made it made sense, it's not part of the bigger picture. And I think uh, entrepreneurs go through that as well. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a bit because I want to get a good amount of time to talk about 
your your latest sort of research and something that you've you've always dealt with for a long time is the term hypervigilance. The 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 act that you know people really take things very literal and and really go into things. So as entrepreneurs, you're balancing and wearing a lot of hats. And I, I don't know. I know you're excited about it. We talked the other day, and and I think it was great insight you had on on uh, especially in this time uh, with COVID and all these different things that come up and the way that the media sprays things at us and the level that we're taking it, whereas the media has always thrown things at us. And we, I think in the past, have seemed to sift it better. But now we're in this hypervigilant stage. We know right now it's forest fires and you can't go around the community in, in British Columbia without talking to somebody and them talking about building a, a to-go bag and you know all this stuff. And well, there's not even fires burning within 500 kilometers of your house. So you know it's just... That's where we are. So help us kind of distill that from the business standpoint. And if, if you need me to clarify, I'm happy to, to bust it up some more. Well, let me see if I, if I got it. So I think one of the things that, uh, that we encounter in business, I think there's a couple of things. One, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, we know our organizations need to change. We have to stay relevant. We have to respond. Everything is always changing. And we have a different view of the organization than the people that work with us and for us, depending on how you define that. You know, we are sitting at, at a perspective that we get almost a panoramic view of everything that's going on. And that has great advantage to us. I spent a lot of time on the prairies. And in the prairies, you could see a storm coming in, rolling into your city. It might be a hundred kilometers away. You knew it was coming. And I knew people that were very good at it. They could estimate based on the roll of the cloud at what time that would hit the city, All right? That's a huge advantage. So that means you're looking ahead all the time. Your employees and the people that are working with you don't have that view. There are various layers down below that. Now, that has huge advantage for being able to see forward and move your organization to see, oh, okay, there's a storm coming. We have to start changing now, right, in order to be prepared for that storm. Hence the go bag, even though the fires are 500 kilometers away. So that's the first thing. The downside of that view is you can't see the detail of what's required to make what you think is necessary to prepare for that uh, a reality. It's your employees that see it. And so what happens is there's a gap because you get the leaders see the, the storm coming, they decide that this is the solution and they go, go and get it done without accommodating and recognizing the level of effort that's going to be required to get that done. So that's the first thing in terms of view. The other thing we need to keep in mind is that our brain is serves the same function as it did 10,000 years ago, which is our survival. It's not designed to keep us happy. It's not designed to keep us healthy. It's designed so that we stay alive. And one of the ways that it does that is by constantly, unconsciously, without even our awareness, assessing our environment, making sure things are 
consistent and predictable. They're where they should be. And then based on old beliefs and old experiences, goes in and predicts what's likely to happen next. That gives us a level of consistency and predictability, which is very important for our survival. The most stressful thing for uh, all humans is when that consistency, that predictability is upended and we enter a period of uncertainty and we feel that the uncertainty and the unknown. So we don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict. We can't figure out what to do next. And we feel a loss of control. And when that happens, we do three things, typically our response. One is we worry. So we project into the future. We worry about all of the worst case scenarios and, and, and we'll ruminate about it. The second thing, which is the one that you were talking about, is what will become what I call what actually it's not my term. Um, the neuroscientists call hypervigilant, which means we're more sensitive to every small thing in our environment. So maybe somebody you walk into your office and you don't smile at your assistant. And because of the uncertainty and the stress of this uncertainty, and our built-in negativity bias, all of that comes together. And she goes, oh my gosh, Dustin's mad at me. I wonder what I did. And now she worries and ruminates all day about what's going on. Maybe she doesn't come to you. She just does that, right? Or, you know, you've had a tough day. You get home and you find something in the house that normally bothers you, but not too badly. And this time you blow up because you step on a child's toy or something. That's what happens. The third thing that we do that leaders need to be also aware of is that we seek information. And that's where social media can play a big role in increasing our stress and exacerbating the problem. So we seek out any information that will try and build in that predictability and that consistency. And we'll take it from wherever we can get it. So many people in the early days of the pandemic, and I suspect that's happening with the fire, are probably finding themselves checking their social media much more frequently. They're much more tied to it than they would be in a normal position. And each time they check it and there's a difference or a contradiction in the information, they feel their stress level going up. So when we become aware of those three things, because we're in a time of uncertainty, then we can begin to take control of that and lessen our stress response. You've been around for 20 years. So are we, have we ever been in certainty? No, no, but we still within certainty, within our lives, we have a certain amount of predictability, right? You right. drive to work by the same route every day, you know, tenderly what happens. So the response is the same. It's always been there. I think part of the difference is we have much more access, much more quickly to information than we ever had before, Right. Yeah. You know, if you, if you think of the fires, you know, 20 years ago, we would have gotten, you know, the 
evening news. Right. And maybe if you had friends, you'd be calling your friends. There was no texting. There was no social media. You weren't getting 60 tweets a day about all, you know, and, and seeing all of it all of the time. Yeah, no, I, I think there's that's for a whole nother podcast on how to manage your social media and uh, your intake. But I, I, I've learned a lot uh, today and, and I'd love to know uh, where, where can we find your tools? Yeah, so you can go to my website, thinktransition.com. Um, if you want to connect with me uh, directly, you can email me at donmarie at thinktransition.com. And uh, you'll find all of our courses, training. If you're looking for something, we do a lot of customized courses in-house for organizations. So just contact us through our website and we'd be happy to help. And you're on LinkedIn, I assume? Yes. And definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. And, uh, and our, the company has a Facebook page as well. All right, Don. Well, I really appreciate this. And I ask every uh, guest that I know this was more of a, a consulting coaching pod, but uh, what is your ultimate picture of wealth? My ultimate, my ultimate picture of wealth is to have enough financial stability that I can do the things that uh, I want to do in terms of travel, provide for my family, uh, play in the, in the, I live on Vancouver Island, so play on the island as I want and it's also that my business is financially uh, stable and can provide a service and a lifestyle for the people that I employ. No, well, great. I, uh, I appreciate all your wisdom today. And uh, we will have your contact info in the show notes. So thanks a lot, Don. Marie. All right. Thanks for having me, Dustin. It's been You're a pleasure. Welcome. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.